1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW Group void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18.
2: Odd. That is the word to describe Manchester United's opening Europa League group game to Real Sociedad, which ended in a 1 0 defeat. Odd in the sense of a markedly subdued atmosphere at Old Trafford following the news of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. An odd performance from United following the highs of Liverpool and Arsenal in recent weeks. And ultimately an odd decision to award Real Sociedad a penalty that led to them winning the game. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with, for this week, me, Jack Tate. Continuing that theme of odd at Old Trafford, we have a slightly odd episode structure for you today, as it will just be me giving you my reaction to the game, interspersed with some immediate thoughts from Old Trafford from regular host Harry. After our short roundup of what was a disappointing and strange night at Old Trafford, you will also hear an interview from Harry with Andy Slater, editor of the first physical fanzine in women's football and the only one for United women, the Barmy article. All of that is to come later in the episode, but for now, let's dive straight in. To start with, let's hear from Harry on what it was like to be at Old Trafford in a rather weird atmosphere.
0: There aren't many days where a Manchester United defeat means... Absolutely nothing in terms of the news of the United Kingdom, but this was one of them. It was a strange day, I think, for monarchists, royalists, republicans, whatever your thoughts on the British monarchy. It was strange. No matter (laughs) your opinions. Um, The longest-serving monarch in the country's history died with uh health being announced as poor in the morning. And as I say, either way, whatever your thoughts almost on tender hooks throughout the day, waiting to see what was actually happening. And that led to a very strange atmosphere at Old Trafford before this game against Real Sociedad. And we'll come on to the game in a second, but this was a strange atmosphere Uh, I think most most United fans would have been in the pub as the death of Queen Elizabeth was announced at about half past six English time and if you're like me it was a moment to come indoors and see how the news portrayed this historic moment and just see it's one of those moments that you always know is going to come but and it's been built up a lot and you've heard plenty about how how that moment will be covered in the media and how that moment will be received in the country but it's always surprising and it's it's a moment to witness as I say again regardless of your opinions uh, and then fans were going into the game, and it, it that that strange, strange feeling remained. I'd say football fans in general are not the. I mean, it depends on what what area from and what team you support, but football fans are not overwhelming royalists or monarchists or anything like that. And again, depends on what team you support. They're not overwhelming republicans either. And I just think speaking to people there, there was this sense of, wow, this is strange. The first, genuinely, the first public event in Britain after the death of its longest serving monarch was, and simultaneously, was both Manchester United against Real Sociedad and West Ham playing in London. That is, <laughs> that is quite something. Um, I would expect this weekend's Premier League fixtures and and the rest of the football fixtures to be postponed. We'll see. Uh, Later in this episode, you'll hear me talking to Andy Slater from the Barmy article fanzine that covers United women. I'd imagine their first game of the WSL season at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium will be cancelled or postponed. We'll see. But just a very, very strange feeling.
2: It was without doubt a weird atmosphere at Old Trafford before the game, which shouldn't have affected the players' performance, but definitely did create an, an odd atmosphere at Old Trafford. It was very subdued compared to what you would expect even for a Europa League group game. It seemed to just create this atmosphere in this sense that everything at Old Trafford was a little bit down, a little bit slow, a little bit lethargic, and maybe just not at the tempo and the intensity that you would expect. Whether that actually rubbed off on the players or not, who knows, but it certainly, their performance certainly did match the energy that was coming from the stands as United really put in a lethargic, slow, and to be honest, quite boring performance for for large parts of the game, especially in in that second half. We'll get into a little bit of some of the tactics that United employed in this game looking especially at Fred and his role looking at a bad performance by Casemiro and Ronaldo and also looking at who stood out and what United might be able to take from this game this any shreds of light that we could take from this defeat against Sociedad into our upcoming Premier League matches. To start with tactically in the first half United set up I think as most people would have expected with the exception of Eriksen and Fred's positions being sort of flipped. I think when the team sheet came out, we all expected Eriksen to be in a somewhat more, more traditional number 10 role with Fred sitting deep next to Casemiro, as they often do for Brazil. And in the end, it was quite different. To that. It was very different to that. In fact, you still had Eriksen playing very deep as we've seen him play for United in the Premier League so far this season when he's played alongside Bruno Fernandes. And Fred was really, really pushed up into this sort of number 10 role. Now, obviously, as I like to say, every every tactical decision has a trade-off. And the trade-off here was that you got the benefit of Eriksen's ability to be very, very good on the ball, to be press-resistant and to progress the ball from deep. And he was able to get on the ball in, in deep areas and, and do well at getting United forward. I thought it was very noticeable to me, especially early on, that United seemed a little bit more willing, a little bit more committed to playing out from the back tonight, especially from De Gea. You know, the, from sort of 15 to 30 minutes into the game, De Gea really went long with the ball. He was often trying to play it into midfield, more so than we've seen him do in the last few games in the Premier League. Whether that was a function of just the fact that Sociedad weren't putting us under a huge amount of pressure. I think we spoke in the last episode that this was likely to be a game where the tempo was already a little bit slower. There was likely to be a little bit more space just because of the nature of playing a team from Spain, rather than sort of that sort of scrappy intensity that you get in the Premier League week to week. Whether it was because of that or if it was a, a sort of planned route that United wanted to go down for this game, we obviously don't know. But it was definitely a marked shift from what we've seen in the last couple of league games that De Gea really wanted to go short. And so the benefit you got to go back to that tactical decision to switch Eriksen and Fred, the benefit that you got was that it was Eriksen rather than Fred receiving those, those balls from deep. The trade-off, the, the sort of bad part of that trade-off, of course, was that you ended up with, rather than Eriksen being our most advanced midfielder, ended up being Fred. And we talked to, at length in this podcast, especially last season, about Fred's strengths going forward. And that actually, rather than being used as a more traditional number six, as he has done at United, with most of the focus being on his defensive work. Actually, he do, does have quite a lot to offer going forward, probably more so than we've seen. Having said that, Fred's attacking ability is generally, I think anyway, it comes from his ability to drive from deep and make good runs into the box and to be a good ball carrier when he has the ball in possession. It's, it's not so much having the guile and the ability to break down defences when he's in a number 10 role, receiving the ball from deep and sort of not having that space to run into when he is occupying that space and needs to turn and release the ball. There were numerous occasions, more so in the second half than the first half, to be fair. But even in the first half, it happened a few times. Numerous occasions where Fred would receive the ball in quite good positions and his first touch would just let him down it wasn't an awful first touch, but it would just it would lose that momentum in the attack for United and stop us from being able to to build anything from there. I don't want to the focus on him too much though, because I thought Fred overall was was okay, if although not remarkable. I think if you're looking at where this game sort of went wrong for United, I think there were a couple of areas that really stood out throughout the game. One was the poor performance of Casemiro, which I'll come on to a little bit more in just a second. The other was the really poor performance of Cristiano Ronaldo as well. Now, I I generally don't like singling out individual players on this podcast. I'm not singling out Ronaldo at all, but I think it is worth just discussing what might be going on with him past the obvious being that he's maybe a little bit unsettled. Obviously, he didn't want to stay at United through, through the transfer window. But despite all of that, we've seen Ronaldo before at times in his career potentially be unsettled. There'd be stories about what what his next move might be and he's managed to sort of put that aside and still be this amazing player on the pitch. And this performance wasn't necessarily any worse than some of his other bad performances that we've seen since he came back to United. You know, I think we know that Ronaldo isn't this all-around great player as he has been at, at previous times in his career when he was a bit younger. But tonight was, it was worrying for me and I think we mentioned it after the Southampton game as well, just I've never seen, I've never ever watched Ronaldo play and thought this is someone who's a bit unsure or maybe is lacking a little bit of self-belief. And I've got to be honest, probably for the first time ever, I've started to feel like that with him in the, in the last couple of games. It just felt like tonight, everything that he did was a little bit hesitant. It was quite slow. He, he just seems a little bit off it in, in almost every way and again that's not to say that he can't turn it around we've seen Ronaldo put in bad performances to come back and score a hat-trick the next week multiple times throughout his career but it is worrying to me because well especially with Martial out injured for a little bit longer Ronaldo is an important player even if he's not starting every week he is our depth at at striker and even with Rashford despite his great start to the season I don't think you can be 100% certain that Marcus Rashford's good form at striker is going to maintain itself you know every single week so Ronaldo is a really important player for this United team still, and it, it is worrying that his form to start the season has been so poor. I thought tactically, the big difference between having him in the team and what we had with Rashford against Liverpool and Arsenal, and and against Leicester and Southampton as well, was just that we had no threat in behind. Obviously, this wasn't this wasn't the kind of game like say Arsenal where there was 50 yards of space to run into when we had when we won the ball back. But there were still opportunities in this game for Ronaldo to be be proactive, I guess, and making runs in behind to create space for others. And it at this point in his career it just doesn't seem like his game. But the problem is that when Rashford is it looks likely at the moment anyway, that he is the alternative in that position, it means dependent on whether we're playing Ronaldo or Rashford completely changes the way that Man United seem to want to play with their striker. Because Rashford, even against teams like Leicester and Southampton is still a player that ultimately does want to be running in behind as his primary threat. He's improved and did well, especially against Leicester in the first half, at dropping a bit deeper and being a bit more of a link man, I think the phrase that I used at the time. But Rashford's primary threat still is in behind and Ronaldo isn't. His threat at this point in his career is to feet and being the one on the end of some flowing moves that United need to put together. The problem is, though, when you switch between those two, it means everything about our style of play has to change because if you've got Rashford running in behind, you generally want your wingers to maybe stay a little bit wider, potentially to to stay a little bit deeper as well because Rashford is already stretching the defence, so that should create space and a little a few deeper areas for the likes of Sancho or Anthony, Ilanga, whoever it might be in those positions. With Ronaldo coming deeper then that completely switches the way you want your wingers to play because you want them to actually be running more inside and in behind so that Ronaldo will drag the centre-backs in. You can hopefully then, let's say, play a ball into him. He knocks it off maybe to Bruno or Fred or Eriksen, whoever it might be. And then the ball goes in behind to the wingers who then make use of the space that Ronaldo has created. So it completely changes the way United want to attack. And I think that's going to be a, a bit of a problem for United to deal with going forward is how do we manage to play with those two such different styles in attack so I think it's only right that we highlight Ronaldo's bad performance it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to maintain that level of performance but I do think it's something to monitor just the way that he's approaching these games because it that hesitancy in his play is something I haven't seen before from Ronaldo and it is it is worrying and then on a bigger picture how do United adapt to having two such different playing styles in their two main options at striker at least until Martial comes back into the frame then moving back down the pitch, another former Real Madrid player in this United side, Casemiro, I mean, he was woeful. <laughs> I don't think there's much more I can really say on that. He, he was really bad for, for the the entire game. I, I think the only thing you can hope from a Man United perspective is that that was primarily down to fitness and not due to any actual sort of decline in his game because, I mean, that kind of performance, I saw, I saw someone on, I can't remember who it was on Twitter now, say this during the game, but... It had shades of Schweinsteiger during his spell at United, a player coming, obviously a huge pedigree, big name, and just sort of not really having the legs to be able to to survive in the midfield at the moment. Again, I I, I don't think it's necessarily anything to worry about massively just yet, because we have seen some good things from Casemiro still, especially against Leicester. And I think it was when he came on and he did quite well to sort of steady the ship for United, but... There were some worrying signs in this game that I think we have to, we have to be wary of moving forward. Having said that, let's, let's talk a little bit about the few positives that came out of this game. And for me, I think the biggest ones were Martinez and Eriksen and, and, and Malassia and Dallow as well to a slightly smaller extent. Martinez obviously came on at halftime. Eriksen went off at halftime. Martinez first, I think, you saw a massive difference when he came on compared to Lindelof at centre-back. Just, I mean, we've mentioned it before, the intensity with which he defends. And I think that did make a difference, but primarily just on the ball. His comfort on the ball and his ability to get us moving forward quickly is something I haven't seen in many centre backs, honestly. And I know that was, that was obviously known as a quality of his before he came here, but I don't think I quite appreciated just how strong his ability is to be really progressive in his, in his movements with the ball. And it's not, it's not in the same way that, say, a Maguire does it for United, where he does carry the ball forward well, but then the passes aren't necessarily particularly incisive, even if they do ultimately move us forward from where he picked up the ball. Martinez's vision, his ability to release the ball quickly, and his ability to get himself out of some tight spots as well. I've got to say, I've been so, so impressed. And that continued even tonight, despite the fact that United weren't at their best. Eriksen, I mean, just to carry on the superlatives that have been thrown his way a lot since the weekend against Arsenal... Dictated the game when United were on the ball in the first half. There was a period towards the end of the first half in the in the lead up to the, the disallowed goal from Ronaldo. When United did start to get a little bit of control in the game and Erickson was absolutely key to that again. You know, just his ability to be press resistant, to be calm on the ball, even when he is under pressure. That is a trait that United have, have really, really lacked in midfield. We mentioned it, I think, in the Leicester game I complimented McTominay for the, the fact that he was quite efficient on the ball that day, that he didn't sort of do his driving runs through midfield when he was under pressure, but he he was much more aware of what was around him. That is a skill and an ability that Eriksen has in absolute abundance that we have, haven't really seen from United midfielders. Fred doesn't have it, McTominay doesn't have it, Matic didn't have it. Pogba sort of had it, but his his way of reacting to it was different to Eriksen in that he would try and beat a man to get out of it. Whereas Eriksen... Is just brilliant at being able to keep control of the ball and sort of just drift away from players very quickly and then play great passes to get out of the pressure, get out of the pressure. That is a profile that United have lacked, and just every every game that he plays, he becomes more and more important to this United team. Kind of similarly with Ronaldo and Rashford, I think the challenge for United is going to be how do we figure out how to play without Eriksen because clearly he can't keep playing and starting every single game as the schedule starts to get tighter and tighter and might get even even tighter still with potentially games being postponed this weekend after the Queen passed away. So that is going to be a huge, huge challenge for Ten Hag and this United team is how do we, how do we recreate, or not even recreate, but how do we make up for what Eriksen has when he's not on the pitch? Because he has been huge. And then the other two I mentioned were Dalo and Malassia. Dalo obviously went off at halftime for Martinez and Lindelof got shifted out to right back. And I think you could just you could tell the difference instantly between Dalo and, and Lindelof. And I don't think Dalo is I don't think he's fantastic by any means. He's certainly someone to be upgraded on eventually, you know. But at the moment, he offers a lot to this team. Just I think the speed with which he does everything on the pitch. I, I've mentioned that a lot. In this good run of form that United had had until tonight, that I think that is one of the biggest differences between what we've seen recently and what we had seen against Brentford and Brighton, and what we'd seen last season under Ranick and Solskjaer. It's just that I think United have begun to speed up the, the the tempo of their play, and I think Dallow has been has been key to that. Not everything he does is particularly clean. He's not particularly precise. He he can still make a few mistakes with things, but. Just is the the tempo and the intensity that he brings to the table, similarly to Martinez, although Martinez is definitely more refined than than Dallow. Just I think Dallow does make a big difference. And it's a very similar story with Malassia, too. You know, players who, to be honest, are quite similar in the in the sense that they aren't particularly refined, but they just do everything at a speed and and, and with an intensity and at a tempo that sets a really good tone for this United team. And I think if you if you look at that back four with potentially sort of the, the two completely different back fours that United have had in the last couple of games and that we generally lined up with last season. So if you compare Wambasaka, Maguire, Lindelof, Shaw as last season's back, generally back four to Dalo, Varane, Martinez and Malassia that we've seen in these last four games, in almost every single one of those four positions, you're getting a big upgrade in terms of the intensity that they play the game. And that doesn't necessarily mean that all those players are better than their replacements particularly say with Shaw and Malassia, I think there's an argument to say Shaw is a better player than Melassia, but in terms of what we need at the moment and the way that we're trying to build this team, that added tempo, that added intensity that those four players give us, I think has made a big, big difference, not just defensively, but also on the ball as well. They do just set a good tone. And again, I think, you know, Melassia has really, really put in a really good shift and is, is really starting to make a name for himself with, with the fans. There's been a lot of love for him that I've seen on Twitter in the stadium and I, I think it's, it's well-deserved. He is a player that he seems to have the right character, the right attributes to, to thrive at, at United. It doesn't mean he's going to go on and become the next you know Patrice Evra, but I think he has done a lot to, to endear himself to this fan base and I think we are going to need to rely on him a lot more than we ever expected to this season. Now, before we switch the focus, the United women's team, let's go back to Harry for his thoughts on the game itself.
0: As for the game itself, that atmosphere, I mean, continued overall in general, but also as a reminder of how different Europa League is to Champions League. And there is a different feeling for Europa League games than the more elite club competition. It just is. There's nothing you can do about that. The Champions League, even the group stages, is... It feels like the pinnacle. It feels exciting. This did not. <laughs> and that was not helped by... It was helped, first of all, before I got on to the performance. It was helped by Real Sociedad fans, who were brilliant. And I say that and I point that out because a lot of Spanish travelling support can be pretty poor. But and Real Sociedad fans may interject and say, well, we're not Spanish, we're Basque. And that would uh probably be quite a pertinent point, actually, because they were brilliant um great fans in the in old Trafford's elf stand and jumping around and partly because it's Europa League, and he care just a little bit less only naturally. I looked over when they were celebrating their goal, and I was pissed off, but also you just think, yeah, that's right <laughs> that's that's the way you should support your team. It was great um. But yeah, the game as a whole, uh, poor from from both teams. But United were very, very disjointed and underwhelming. It's not so surprising given the number of changes, but just how poor the team looked and individual players looked as well. And it's felt a lot like the League Cup defeat to West Ham last season, last September... In which Oleg and Solskjaer gave several fringe players a chance to show what they could do. And, uh, well, all of them showed nothing. <laughs> this, this felt pretty similar to that. I thought Alanga had some really good moments and particularly after half time until he went off. That was top. He did well. But Maguire and Lindelof did not show the quality that we've become very quickly accustomed to with. Martinez and Lindelof and they would have done themselves no favours with those performances you can always say it's, it's, it's difficult and it is difficult because coming into a team that has been successful and there's loads of changes it's not the same as coming to a team that's been successful and you're the one change in. it's, uh, it's very different and it, it, it can be hard but they weren't good enough I thought Casemiro it was pretty poor as well We've spoken about he's given the ball away a few times in his substitute appearances. He did it several times again when he was starting tonight and that's poor. But overall, I mean, this game is... Uh, it, it brings United back down to earth however you look at it. Uh, it shows that the squad depth might look great on paper but isn't quite there. And it shows that the... The Ten Hag way of playing is not Fully translated through the whole team yet And I think we all knew that anyway I hope we all knew that um, But the, the The winners out of that performance Are players who didn't Play the full 90 minutes It's Kristen Eriksson who showed Well, forget what he showed on the pitch today The second half showed exactly why He Has just shocked everyone By being a much more significant player than we thought he would be he completely changes how that midfield plays and and therefore the rest of the team and the same applies to Lissandro Martinez who didn't start, came off came on, sorry at half time and, and showed his quality and just the speed of passing and the, the speed of thought compared to Maguire and Lindelof several players like that and on the other hand several players who really showed why they're not starting games in Maguire, Lindelof, Ronaldo. Who was very poor. And a final positive note: Charlie McNeil in a debut. He's a he's a good striker, and he's got a lot of potential. He's a proper United fan from North Manchester, and yeah, he's got something about him, and it's great to see him come on for his debut at Old Trafford. So. Good luck to him over the next few weeks, and hopefully he'll get some more minutes in Europa League going forward. Um, didn't have plenty; he didn't have loads of time to impress, but that was just good to see, and Garnacho on as well. So I'll finish on that positive note. Good to see the kids out.
2: So that is about it from me. You next up, you'll be hearing from Harry as he talks the United Women's Team as they about about to get their season underway. You'll hear an interview from Harry with Andy Slater an expert on United women's team as he previews the season and talks a lot about United's returning heroes from this summer's victorious England women's campaign in the Euros. So enjoy listening to the interview. Thank you all for listening again, as always. Patrons, as will probably become the norm with these Friday episodes, there won't be a Q&A this, in, in this episode. We will save that for Tuesday when both Harry and I are fully here and have a bit more time to dive into all of your questions. For anyone that isn't a patron, pl- if you can, please consider signing up we really appreciate all of the support that we can get you know that enables us to keep doing these podcasts twice a week for you which we're really enjoying if you do want to sign up there is a link to it in the description of this podcast or you can google manchester united weekly podcast patron as always thank you so much to everyone who listens patron and otherwise if you want to find us anywhere else you can find harry on twitter at harry robinson 64 you can find myself at Tate as t-a-i-t And you can find the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod on Twitter. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Goodbye.
0: The Women's Super League 2022-23 begins on Saturday. I spoke to the editor of the first physical fanzine in women's football and the only one for United women, the Barmy article. Andy Slater gives us a sense of the mood of fans ahead of United's first game. Before you hear from Andy, a quick rundown for those who don't know or have forgotten the recent history of this team. Uh, founded in 2018, United women were first managed by Casey Stoney and romped to the second division title to earn promotion into the top flight. With an exciting group of young players, Stoney oversaw two seasons of the team lapping at the ankles of the top three in the women's English game, Arsenal, Chelsea and Man City. But the team could never crawl themselves into the top three and therefore could never get themselves Champions League qualification. Stoney left in 2021 with suggestions that she was frustrated by underinvestment in the team, particularly in facilities rather than players. Mark Skinner came in, joining from the US side Orlando Pride. And United had some great moments last season, but a slow start to the campaign and several late-season slip-ups meant it was another fourth place to finish. This summer, United have signed a whole host of players as they look to finally get into the top three. Andy and I talk about a couple of them. In summer, England's women's team won the Euros with United players Mary Earp's goalkeeper, Ella Toon, forward, and Alessia Russo, also a forward, making massive contributions. Since the tournament's finished, another Lioness, Nikita Paris, has also signed from Arsenal. Right, let's hear from Andy. The WSL season kicks off this Saturday and United are in the opening fixture at Spurs. Andy, thank you very much for coming onto the show. Before we talk about new signings and anything else, are you excited for the new season?
3: Yeah, very much so. I, am. Um, I managed to get to a few Euros games over the summer, but none of no England ones. So sitting watching live football as a neutral just had me itching for, for something I could support again and, and getting behind United, going to live football and having a team to support and cheer on. So that's, that got me hyped up quite early on in the summer. And then with the new signings we've got, I've got high hopes for this season and looking forward to getting straight back into it.
0: Yeah, and that combination of, of live football back for you to actually support rather than watching as a hopefully entertained neutral, but also the the excitement of the Euros. Um, how, how much do you consider... Are you an England fan as well as a United fan or primarily
3: United? Um, through my years following United men, I was... I always of the, the quite typical club over country and and never really never really bothered with England but and I I kind of started off like that this summer as well but I wanted them to do well but wasn't totally invested in it but as it as it went on and seeing especially the United players do well for England it I, I certainly did get swept up in it yeah yeah it was hard not to especially when I think yeah
0: speaking from personal experience as well I was I was supporting England anyway but even more in kind of. The uh, the latter half hour of games when the the duo of Toon and Russo would come on, um, my my interest was peaked a little more than uh, than for the opening sixty minutes. It does add a, an extra level of excitement to the new WSL season. Probably not so much for yourself but for potentially new arrivals in terms of fans I'm talking about. But does does that excitement rub off on you, who's followed the team since its inception as well? Are you excited to see what kind of an impact the
3: summer has had? Yeah, it's, it's been great to have that kind of small crowd atmosphere, you know, small dedicated following. But we want to see the team supported well. And it's good to see the club helping out with that as well. They're putting shuttle buses on from Old Trafford to to Lee Sports Village for the first time this season. So that will hopefully help people because Lee's not the easiest place to get to unless you're driving and and then there's kind of one road that passes it so the traffic's dreadful. So that shuttle bus will hopefully encourage more people that have thought about it before and and not quite fancied the travel arrangements. So it's good good to see that help as well from the club, encouraged by the supporters club who, who do a lot of work behind the scenes as well. But it'll be, it'll be great to get some bigger crowds and uh, it's it's a little bit like, you know, when you're like a, a local band and you you miss those intimate gigs in the early days, but you're thrilled to see them playing in front of much bigger crowds and, and getting the support that they want, the kind of support that they'll have watched on TV, watching men's football growing up and never thought they'd get. And now they're playing in front of, you know, they've played in front of seventy eighty thousand 80,000 in the Euros and, and hopefully, you know. It'll take a while to reach those levels here, but hopefully we'll see, see a few more thousand come, which the numbers are looking promising so far.
0: Yeah, that's a great analogy. In terms of the signings, that does generate a lot of excitement, a whole host of players in. Um, we won't go through everyone individually because it's quite a list, but can I ask you which, which two or three are you most excited about seeing? Um, and which two or three are most likely to make an impact immediately in the starting
3: eleven? I think the standout player, in both of those categories is, is Maya Leticia. Uh, she's only 20, but she's been playing for Brighton in the WSL for four seasons already. So she's, she's not short of experience for such a young player. And it, it was obvious at Brighton how good she was in the first couple of pre-season games. She's impressed. And just the fact that defense is somewhere we struggled so much last season. We, you know, we had Millie Turner was out for most of the season with, with a neck issue. Uh, for Man did her ACL, so she went missing for a while. So we only had Larry Dottier as the one recognised centre half with Zellum and Haley Lad dropping back to defending at various times, which took away from their games and their positions. So the fact that she's so young, she's so exciting, and she's a defender, which which we've been short of, is uh, I expect she'll make the biggest impact, and with the help of Tunkara as well, because she's a more experienced defender from. Uh, did well with France in, in the Euros. But I think Milo is the, the one to watch on immediate impact and for the future. Uh, I'm excited to see Adriana Leon. She looks like an exciting attacking player. Um, Garcia as well. But I think it's difficult to pinpoint one because I think with the forwards, we've added such a, a range of talent and depth of, of talent that it's exciting to see which combinations will play, how they'll link up with, you know, obviously Tune and Russo are going to be coming back flying from the Euros. I think it's it's a real collective quality recruitment over the summer which which I'm looking forward to seeing who gets picked and what kind of combinations we see.
0: Is the cuz the squad has had a lot of talent before but the depth as as you've just been explaining particularly with the defense has not always been there is the new depth do you think it's enough to finally break into the top
3: 3 which has been the aim of the team I mean I I guess since its inception I- yeah, I think so. Um, just as important as the signings, we haven't lost any first team players. There's, there's been a few outgoings, but but they've been either fringe players or, or young players who've gone out on loan. who you haven't really, I've, I've maybe thought they could have been used more. We could have got more out of them. But if if the manager didn't fancy them or trust them, then getting them out on loan and getting some valuable minutes would be great for the season after. But the, so the players that have gone aren't really ones that we've depended on. And we've added seven players, probably I'd say five of which I would expect to be regulars in the team, if not every game, on, on regular rotations, depending on the opponents. So it is a it is a very new thing at this point to depth, particularly on, on last season when, when we got decimated in defence.
0: And you mentioned it there that there's well, yeah, in terms of departures or lack thereof, I, I guess the big one, Ona Batye, who's long been rumoured to have plenty of interest from Chelsea and Barcelona, the Spanish fullback is massively talented and has arguably been United's player of the season for the last two at least for one of them, she's still at United. That's, that's probably the biggest,
3: isn't it? Yeah, I would say so. Um, once Barcelona got all of Lucy Brands, we, we felt we were quite safe from, from losing her to, to Barcelona. Um, Chelsea were rumoured to be sniffing around, but it's, it feels like a bit of a Ronaldo and Madrid kind of situation where, you know, she's, she's Catalonian. She's, she's played for, for Catalonia in, you know, the, the friendly kind of games that, that, they play. Um, it feels like Barcelona is the dream and she will end up there one day. Uh, the general mood was, if we were to lose her, we would want to see her to replace her. Now having both of them, if we lost her now that we've got both of them, it would, it would be like a bit of a kick. Um 'cause cause, you know, there's, there, there are still a couple of days left of the transfer window, but I'm not hearing any rumours about, about losing her this late on. And I think even if an offer did come in, I think the club would, would refuse. So it's great to see that she's still going to be a United player and hopefully we can make that jump into the top three and, and convince her and others to, to sign longer-term deals and commit to the club a bit longer.
0: If you were talking to a, a supporter who hasn't watched the women's team that much, how do you how do you describe what they can expect in terms of style of play under Mark Skinner
3: in terms of what's coming up this season? I think this season it's going to it's going to evolve again compared to last season. I think with the array of forwards that we've got, Skinner's always talked about wanting his attackers to to interchange, and we've got a few players who are capable of playing left or right or through the middle. So Russo for example She's probably our best striker But last season she was also our best right winger So it was a question of where would you miss At the least uh, this season I think she'll be playing up top Consistently because we've got We've got forwards who who Can play anywhere really I think you could pick four forwards And and no matter which position you put them in You'd, you'd get a good performance So I think it's going to be fluid attack I think it's going to be very exciting We've got a good young group of players who can attack but we've also added a bit of experience as well and, and players that will hopefully be in the prime and, and have something to prove so I think it's going to be competitive uh, for places and I think there's going to be a whole lot of excitement and you add to that the the strength and defence that we've got compared to last season and you hope that it'll help the midfield contribute more to the attack and, and we'll see I'm half expecting and more hoping for a, a big increase in, in goals scored for this season Tell us about
0: Barmy Article, the fanzine that you run. Tell us about the name, why you wanted to start it in the first place, how often it's on sale and where it's on sale as well.
3: So I started in, it was during lockdown in the May of 2021 that I, I released the first issue. Over my years of following the men's team, I'd, I'd wrote a few articles in, in Red News. I always, you know, I work in finance, so I've, I'm not creative as a as a career, but I've always had a a, a little bit of a, Thirst for for content of almost any kind, and even now the, the supporters' club are, are the best source of information because the proper channels it's improving now, but they haven't really been up to date. So fan content has been one of the key key things. There's a few YouTube channels, um but I always had a love for fanzines. You know the the sound of the sellers as you walk into the ground was always one of the things I remember from being a kid, and I just I wondered could that be done? Who could do it? Could I do it? Uh, I had a little look around, checked print costs, and thought it was affordable if I could get the right people involved. You now I've, I've got no experience of, of print media or anything; I've no graphic design skills. So I put word out to a few people and, and got got a few people interested with the right skills, and then we gave it a go for the first one. It sold enough to fund the second one, and and it went from there. So there's there's enough people who want to to get involved and contribute. Sometimes I have to do a little bit of headhunting and encouraging people to get involved. Other times, people come up and, and ask ask if they can. So it's it's really growing well. Uh, the, the name came from you know the, the supporters club became known as the Barmy Army early on, which you know is quite a common nickname for for a group of fans. But it, it stuck until the supporters club officially changed their name. So I, it's kind of a I couldn't get onto that name for a little bit because uh, that's where it where it was born from. People in the fan club. Joining together and, and helping to put it together. So I've, I've really enjoyed the, the kind of interactions outside the ground when I'm selling. And I always try and make it available at a match day first before it goes available online. Uh, because to me, that's what it is. It's a match day thing. But obviously, I can't rely on that with the size of the crowds and the, the spread of, of the fan base. Well, it's
0: uh, fanzines all across English football, absolutely, but especially United with history of three massive ones and then plenty of others every so often are properly part of the fabric and to have to have that transferred over in a new format into the women's side is is great so um, it's, it's great you've done it is it is it progressing well over since
3: issue one and two has
0: it progressed onwards
3: yeah in, in issue four I interviewed Casey Storney uh, she was ex-manager at the time uh, she's now in San Diego managing San Diego Wave but I, I messaged her on Instagram Kind of a bit hopeful, I wasn't expecting anything. But she replied and said she'd love to have that opportunity to say goodbye as when she left, it was football was behind closed doors so she never really had a farewell match or anything. So it was great to get that interview. And and then in issue six, uh, it was the end of season special. I spoke to Willie Kirk, who was the assistant manager when we started up in 2018. And he left after six months to go and manage Everton women. So I had an interview with him and also with Rachel Brown-Finnis, who most people will have seen. On TV at some point, either presenting or commentating on the Euros or some some men's football as well. So I've 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 managed to get some good interviews, which has been a great experience for me, but also adds a lot of a lot of quality to the fanzine itself. Uh, But it's we still get anybody and everybody contributing. If something's related to United Women, we want to tell the story, and we've had a lot of a lot of good contributions.
0: To get further details on where you can buy and what's inside the latest Barmy article, head to Andy's Twitter. The username is at SL8R7, but if it's easier and it is, just look up Barmy article and he should come up. He also produces a more regular newsletter between fanzine issues, which is worth checking out as well.